Hello, and welcome to the Special Needs Parenting SOS podcast. My name is Nadia Tari, and I'm a mom of four with my youngest two kids having special needs. I wanted to create a podcast where other parents who have a child with special needs could come to get some tips, suggestions, and encouragements. All right, now in today's podcast episode, it's going to be a little bit different than what I normally do. Normally, I like to keep my podcast episodes pretty short, sweet, and to the point. But today is actually going to be my longest podcast episode ever. So if you are in a situation where you're like, oh man, I just really don't have time to listen to a really long podcast episode, no worries. You can always come back to listen to this later when you've got like 45 minutes of laundry to fold or 45 minutes of dishes to wash because they've been piling up or if you've got a long commute you need to drive somewhere far away at some point or you know what you could you could just listen to this whenever you have time obviously um but for those of you who would like some quick tips um and don't have time to listen to it then I'm gonna actually give the three tips like right away within the next few minutes here. Um, And so then when you have time, if you don't have time now, you can always come back and listen to the rest of it uh, if if you want to. Today's story is, um, well, it's a true story. And it is about my son Isaiah and I um, when he went in for surgery. um, And today's topic is specifically about how to deal with a rude doctor who doesn't properly care for your child who has special needs. So I really wanted to share our story because, you know, it does happen where every now and again, you're, you may run into a doctor who's rude, rude to you, rude to your child, or rude to both of you. And it's really unfortunate because Obviously, I wish that all doctors would treat everyone with respect. I mean, I wish everyone would treat everyone with respect. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen sometimes. So I know my mom has also run into a doctor who was so rude to her. I mean, it was just terrible. So today's podcast episode is specifically about what you can do um, in the unfortunate event that you ever have to deal with a rude doctor who, like I said, uh, rude to you, rude to your child, or rude to both of you. So uh, we've all pretty much run into a rude doctor who thinks they are all that. Uh, Well, maybe not all of us, but I'm sure that you've at least heard of somebody who's run into a rude doctor if you haven't yourself. Um, And it can be so extremely difficult to deal with a rude doctor when they are 100% full of themselves. Ah, so frustrating. So anyway, um, I'm going to first of all dive into those three tips right now that I told you I would do before I dive into that, um, the long true story. So this is regarding how you, what you can do when you are dealing with a rude doctor. Tip number one, don't just tolerate a rude doctor. Ask to speak to a supervisor or a manager and ask someone in the hospital or the doctor's office or wherever it is that you're at with the rude doctor and ask them, how do you file a complaint? Someone will be able to tell you, even if you have to go to the owner of the facility. <laughs> you know, there's there's always someone you can talk to besides that rude doctor. And I know you may be thinking, 
oh my goodness, I do not have the time or energy to file a complaint. So if I run into a a rude doctor, I'm just not going to go back. But please, I urge you to take the time to file the complaint. And I'm not just talking if a doctor was just kind of like, you know, "Eh, not so friendly. No, I'm saying when a doctor goes above and beyond to be rude, like rude, rude, right? I don't want to encourage you to file a complaint if the doctor really isn't that bad. I'm only talking about the bad doctors, the doctors who really, really are rude. And the reason why I want to encourage you to take the time to file a complaint is because the reality is if they are rude like that to you and to your child, I can almost guarantee you that they are rude like that to other parents and other children. So if we don't take the time to file the complaint, um, you know, they're not going to stop. It's just a harsh reality. If nobody reports them and nobody files a complaint, uh, they have no reason to change and they will continue being rude to person after person after person. And so you may say, well, I have a child with special needs. I'll just wait till they're rude to the next person and maybe that person you know, a single or doesn't have kids and, and they can do the complaint. But you know what? A lot of people won't file a complaint, even if they're mad, even, even if they're pissed off or whatever. They just won't take the time to do it because yes, it is annoying. It does take time. So I do hope that if you actually do run into a really rude doctor that you will consider even though it's annoying and frustrating to have to take the time to fill it out, whether they have you fill it out on a piece of paper or online, please do it because we've got to stop these doctors from being so rude. And the only way to stop them or slow them down from from treating other people that way um, is to file a complaint. Okay, so that's tip number one, right? Um, Ask to speak to a supervisor or manager or the owner. Um, Ask to speak to anyone besides the rude doctor and ask ask that person how you file a complaint and then file the complaint. Okay, tip number two. Be sure and clearly communicate with the doctor who is being rude. No need to yell or get upset. So let me clarify. When I say to be sure and clearly communicate with the doctor who's being rude, what I mean is um, to just simply express your concerns and ask them any and all questions that you have pertaining to your child. So don't let them make you feel rushed because they're making it like really clear to you that they are in a hurry and they don't have time for you or your child and they certainly don't have time for your questions. Uh-uh-uh. No, not okay. You know what I'm talking about? When, when you look at the doctor and you're trying to explain a situation or you're trying to ask a question and you see that that, that, that doctor just keeps looking at their the watch on their wrist, or you see them glance up at the wall, they're looking at the clock at the wall, Um, you see them, or sometimes they actually get up and they walk to the door, they put their hand on the doorknob and they start to open the door as they're talking while they're walking out, all right, well, no, 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 okay, these are all kind of clues that they're trying to drop to us that they're in a hurry, they don't have time, um, and kind of like wrapping it up, but If they have not spent at least five to ten minutes, like minimally, then no. I'm not okay with them trying to, 
you know, make us feel like we can't ask our questions or, you know, we you don't think, okay, you know what? Maybe he's just in a hurry today. Oh, that's okay. I'll ask my questions next time. No, we book an appointment. We schedule, we wait for what? 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half in the lobby for them to actually call us back because yes, they're running behind. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, <laughs> I know you know what I'm talking about. So if we have to wait for who knows how long for them to finally get to us, well, I think we should be able to ask the questions that we have, right? So I'm just saying, you are the only advocate for your child who has special needs. And don't let anyone push you around verbally or otherwise. So if you have questions, ask them. You know, if you're concerned about something, express what it is and why you're concerned and and get the feedback. Say, you know, what do you think? Don't let them say, well, I have no idea. Um, but if it continues, then, you know, book another appointment. No, no, this is ridiculous. Okay, so moving on. Tip number three, don't just go home and cry or vent to your family and friends. I know, I know I've done this before. It's really tempting. And yes, crying and venting may make you feel a little better afterwards. But the problem with that is it doesn't really solve anything. And so that's why it's so, so important to actually take the time and the energy to file a complaint. So those are the three tips that I have for you if you find yourself in a situation where you are dealing with a really rude doctor, rude to you, rude to your child, or to the both of you. Number one, don't tolerate the rude doctor. Ask to speak to a supervisor or manager and ask how you file a complaint and file the complaint. Okay. Number two, um, be sure and clearly communicate with the doctor who is being rude. So, like I said, no yelling or whatever, but just express to them, you know, that what your concerns are, what your questions are, and don't let them rush you or hurry you or in any way um, not give you the time that you and your child deserve. Tip number three, quick recap, please um, do not just go home and cry or vent to your family and friends because it doesn't solve anything. Um, tip number three kind of goes back to tip number one, and that is ultimately to take the actions to file the complaint. Okay, now with those three tips and suggestions done and over with, I'm now going to dive into the story. Again, this story is a true story, what happened to my son Isaiah and I. However, for the sake of privacy, I will not be naming the name of the hospital where this happened at, nor will I be naming any real doctors or nurses' names. So um, the story is a true story, but the names mentioned in this podcast episode are all fake names. They are made up. You no need to Google them. You're not going to find any doctors or nurses with these names. I deliberately am changing the names for this podcast specifically because it is not my goal to ruin this doctor's life. It is not my goal for anyone to, you know, try to get his license removed or make it so he can't work anymore. I, I'm, I'm not wanting to cause trouble here. That's why I'm not even so much as mentioning the name of the hospital uh, or, or any of the doctors or nurses. But I do want to share our story and I want to be able to help other people to know that 
if you or your child are being treated rudely, you're not alone. There are other people who are going through the same thing. And I wanted to share what I did to, well, first of all, I wanted to share the details of how rude this doctor was and why I filed the complaint and how I went about that and what happened. So um, uh, I hope that helps you understand why I'm sharing this story. I do hope to help others and why, for the sake of privacy, I am not mentioning the name of the hospital or any of the real doctor's names or real nurse's names. So um, every name I mention moving forward will be a fake name. Okay, and then the last thing I want to say before I dive into the story, just so you have an idea of uh, what's happening, because <laughs> I, I am going to just dive right in. Um, but to help you understand what's happening, um, Isaiah and I are, we, we already went to the doctor's, uh, excuse me, we already went to the hospital, we registered, they got Isaiah's vitals, he's in the hospital bed, he's got the um, the gown on, he's basically ready to go in for surgery, just to skip, you know, because I don't have time to actually tell you everything that happened leading up to the surgery, nor do I have time to tell you everything that happened after the surgery. I'm just going to try to key in on the the rude doctor and what happened surrounding that. So, um, just understand that at this point, this point in the story where I'm going to jump in, Isaiah's in his uh, hospital bed. He's got the gown on, ready for surgery, vitals, everything have been taken. He's basically... All, just about ready to go in for surgery. So here we go. I'm diving right in. Sign here, here and here, he said, pointing to the paper that, you know, he wanted me to sign before my son Isaiah went into surgery. Um, I said, uh, I have some questions about what exactly is going to be happening during my son's surgery. I thought I was going to get to talk with Dr. Lambert. Uh, so when will Dr. Lambert be coming in? I asked, you know, confused as to who in the world this doctor was and why he was trying to get me to hurry up and sign this form without any kind of conversation at all ahead of time. I mean, I just never had that happen before. Uh, I am Dr. Goop and I am the attending doctor for Dr. Lambert. I am sure I can answer any questions you have, he said in an annoyed tone of voice expressing frustration in his body language that I was slowing him down because he was clearly in a big hurry. Well, it's just that the nurse that I spoke to a few days ago who called me and told me all of the prep things that I needed to know and do prior to bringing my son, you know, Isaiah in for his surgery today. Well, she said that Dr. Lambert would be coming in to talk with me prior to my son's surgery to answer any questions that I had. And so I was just really wanting to talk with him, you know, with Dr. Lambert. Um, I said this trying to express what I had been told a few days earlier so that this doctor would understand why I had an expectation that I was, you know, expecting Dr. Lambert to come in because that's what the nurse had told me, that he would come in and he would answer any questions I had. So I was just really confused because I didn't know who this other doctor was. 
Dr. Lambert had done another surgery on my son Isaiah about nine months earlier, and I had had several conversations with Dr. Lambert over the past two years prior. So I knew Dr. Lambert, he knew us, he knew, you know, my son's very rare syndrome, the Allen Herndon Dudley syndrome. And so, you know, we knew each other, but I had no clue who in the world this other doctor was you know, the one who was trying to get me to sign that form, having never met him prior to him walking in the room and asking me to sign the form for my son's surgery. Uh, He didn't even so much as introduce himself. It was just really odd. Um, I'd never had any doctor do that before. Um, But anyway, so uh, he, he, I'm back to the rude doctor. He pointed to each thing that was listed on the form to be done on my son during his surgery and explained each thing using one or two sentences. Uh, This is saying that Dr. Lambert will be removing your son's tonsils. Uh, This is saying that he will be removing your son's adenoids. Uh, This is saying that he will be removing all four of your son's salivary glands. This is saying that Dr. Lambert will be looking down your son's throat with a tiny little video camera. Uh, This is saying, uh, this is what he said, you know, as he pointed to each item uh, on the list for my son's surgery, being sure to let me know just how annoyed he was to have to be explaining all of this to me one by one. And I was like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was never told ahead of time that he was going to be having all of this stuff done. Dr. Lambert never talked with me about some of the stuff that you're mentioning. I definitely don't want all four of his salivary glands taken out. I thought we had talked about only removing one or two of his salivary glands. Why does it say here on the sheet that all four of his salivary glands are going to be, you know, removed? And and why would be he why would he even be taking out his adenoids? This is the first I've ever heard about that. No one has talked to me, not said a word about removing adenoids. So, you know what? As a matter of fact, I really would like to talk to Dr. Lambert because I don't feel comfortable with having all of this stuff done on my son. You know, he's only five years old, and that seems like an awful lot of work to be done on him all at once. I really do want to talk to Dr. Lambert, I said, and I was expressing a lot of confusion and concern in my tone of voice because I was totally confused and I was very concerned. Okay, fine. I will see if he can pop in here when he's available. You know, he said. I said, okay, great. Thank you. Now, why in the world did no one discuss half of this stuff with me ahead of time? No, really, I'm asking. Why did this doctor just walk into our room and not introduce himself and immediately try and get me to sign the paperwork for my son's surgery without going over any of it with me ahead of time. Who does that? I don't know of any other doctor. And I've had surgeries. My mom has had surgeries. Both of my boys have had surgeries. I have never once had a doctor walk in, ask for a signature, no introduction, no explanation, nothing. That's never happened before. So, you know, I, I I thought it was, I thought it was rude. Okay. Aren't doctors supposed to make sure that their patients understand what is about to happen during the surgery before?
before the actual surgery? I mean, because that's my understanding. Um, but anyway, Dr. Lambert did eventually end up coming in the room and he did answer all of my questions, which I really appreciated. And, you know, he was nice and everything. So I expressed my concern to him as to why I didn't want all four of his salivary glands taken out, as well as to why I didn't want his adenoids taken out. And Dr. Lambert agreed that he wouldn't take out his adenoids if I didn't want him to. And I said, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. No. <laughs> and we never talked about that. So I'm not even sure why it was, you know, on the form. And I also talked to him about why he was planning on taking out all four salivary glands when we had talked earlier. And we were very clear about only removing one or two to start with. Because he told me that once you remove all four salivary glands, there is no putting them back in. Once they're removed, they're removed. And one of the things that could happen um, with all four salivary glands removed is that, you know, Isaiah could end up with a dry mouth. And so, because obviously he wouldn't have the salivary glands to produce saliva. And so, um, I definitely didn't want Isaiah dealing with dry mouth for the rest of his life. So, that's why we had agreed ahead of time to only remove one or two salivary glands. So I'm not sure what happened there, but either way, Dr. Lambert and I, uh, we got it all figured out and we got on the same page. And so please, please make sure if you are ever going in for surgery, uh, you or your child or a loved one, please very carefully look over that paperwork. If someone ever hands it to you and says, sign here, don't sign, don't sign. You read that paper or paperwork. In this case, it was multiple papers. Um, and I just, I think that every doctor should come in and go over that with you and make sure that you are clear about what's going to be happening, um, both in the appointments leading up to the surgery, as well as on the day of the surgery. They should never assume that you uh, are fully aware of what's going to be happening and just ask you to sign. So please don't sign. If you have questions, ask the questions. If there's something on the form that you don't remember discussing or you flat out didn't discuss, like in our case, we never once talked about removing his adenoids ever. So I just had no idea why that was added. But anyways, moving on with the story. So on uh, Tuesday, it was September 22nd, 2020, Isaiah went into surgery at 1 p.m. This was on a Tuesday, okay? His surgery finished at around 4 p.m. It then took Isaiah over four hours to be able to come out of sedation, which was extremely stressful, if you can imagine. So, I mean, I have another podcast episode that I talked about the intense stress and anxiety that I felt just right then in that situation when Isaiah was not coming out of sedation. And if you'd like to hear that in more detail, feel free to hop over to that other podcast episode um, and have a listen. But for this podcast episode, I want to get um, more focused on what happened with the rude doctor than on what happened with Isaiah not coming out of sedation. But I do need to touch on that just a little bit more so that you have a better understanding of 
what happened with the doctor. So anyway, when Isaiah was not coming out of sedation, the nurse tried putting a cold washcloth under his armpits. She took off his blankets and his pajama top. She was tickling his feet. Um, she put another cold wet washcloth over Isaiah's face to try to wake him up. And he would only open his eyes for like maybe a minute or two at the most, maybe only 30 seconds. I can't remember, but it was, it wasn't long at all. But, um, then he, he would immediately just fall back to sleep. He wasn't really, you know, coming out of sedation. And it was, like I said, it was super stressful, super scary. Finally, a little after four hours after Isaiah came out of his surgery, Isaiah finally started to use his right hand to swat at the nurse like he was swatting at a mosquito. It was so funny um, because he, he wanted her to know that she was annoying him and he didn't want her to continue to try to put that cold, wet washcloth on his forehead or, you know, to tickle his feet or, or to, you know, try to put the cold, wet washcloth under his armpit. Um, he was just swatting at her, like basically as if saying, no, stop, stop. And so, um, you know, because she didn't want to send him to his hospital room for the night until she saw that he was showing signs of, you know, coming out of his sedation because he was still with her and me um, currently in the recovery room. And that's normal. Anytime someone has surgery, when they come out of surgery, they go to recovery room. And if they're going to stay at the hospital before they leave the recovery room, uh, the nurses want to see that they are alert, responsive. So she, this nurse, she was just doing her job. She was doing a good job. Anyway, um, so needless to say, after over four hours, when Isaiah finally was showing signs of swatting at her and kind of beginning to come out of sedation, but not really, but kind of, then she agreed to let him go up to his hospital room for the night. So it was a long and exhausting night. I will never forget it. Isaiah was not breathing well on his own. And when they tried to place an oxygen mask on him, he just cried and tossed and turned his head repeatedly because he clearly did not want the oxygen mask on his face. Now, this is up in his hospital room for the night. So now we're no longer talking about what happened in the recovery room, just to be clear. So we're up in the hospital room for the night. His oxygen without the mask was down to around 88 or 89, and that's really not good. They usually like um, our oxygen to be more like 98 or 99. So that's why they um, had hooked him up to an oxygen mask to try to help get his numbers out of the 80s into the high 90s. So, but because they also didn't want Isaiah crying because... Um, the doctor had gone down his throat, you know, with that little video camera tube kind of thing. Um, so his throat was really, really um, sore and, and, and he, he was obviously in a lot of pain. That's why they had him on a lot of pain medicine. So they said when Isaiah cries, that's just going to make it worse. So, I mean, plus nobody wants their child to cry, right? <laughs> but anyway, so they really wanted to let his body sleep, let him rest, and do whatever possible to for him to uh, not cry. So his throat would begin to heal up. And, um, and so what I did was I uh, 
because I was sleeping right there, right next to him in, in, well, I mean, I wasn't in the hospital bed. You know what I mean? I'm in the hospital room on this little makeshift kind of bed that they have for when a parent has to sleep in the room with a child in the hospital. And so I was getting up, uh, you know, every single hour during the night to give him oxygen because well, what I did was I held the oxygen mask over his nose and mouth without letting the oxygen mask actually touch his face. Because if I let it touch his face, then of course he would start crying and he would swat at it and he he just hated it. So I wanted him to rest. I wanted him to sleep and I didn't want him to cry. But the fact is he needed the oxygen. He wasn't breathing well enough on his own to not have it. And so I would watch the uh, numbers on the machine, um, you know, to, to make sure as I held the oxygen mask over his nose and mouth, I was watching the machine until his oxygen levels got up to the high 90s. And then I would, you know, lay it down, not touching him, but near his face. So, so that Uh, He still would at least get a little bit of the oxygen that he was breathing in. And then I would go crawl back into the bed, the little makeshift bed in the room. And this went on all night long. So basically, I didn't get hardly any sleep. But um, I also was, you know, woke up every single time that the, the nurses would come in. Because obviously, they had to do their vitals on him. And they had to, you know, his feeding tube and everything. There was just a lot that they obviously needed to come in and out constantly to be checking on him. So anyway, um, as if getting up every single hour during the night for me to give him oxygen wasn't enough, um, there was also the constant coming and going like I said, of the nurses, as they they checked on him, they gave him his medicine, they adjusted his night drip and his feedings, and they checked on his stats. And it it turns out that Isaiah had not gone pee since he went into surgery at 1 p.m. the previous day. And now it was like almost 1 a.m. the following morning. And the nurse was telling me that he was worried that it was a male nurse the male nurse was telling me that he was worried about Isaiah um, because, you know, he, he still wasn't really fully coming out of sedation and he hadn't gone pee and he was just a little concerned. So he said he would go get an ultrasound machine and that way we could tell if Isaiah was even producing urine because, you know, there could be several different reasons why someone doesn't go pee and it's been like, you know, more than 12 hours, which is not common, but Um, He said the ultrasound machine will tell us if Isaiah is even producing urine on his own. And if he is, then that's great. Then we just have to figure out how to get his body to release it again on his own. So he went, he grabbed the ultrasound machine, and um, he started doing the ultrasound over Isaiah's bladder. And he said, oh, great. According to the ultrasound, it looks like Isaiah has 260 milliliters of urine in there. So now we know that his body is producing urine. That's wonderful. Now we may just have to help his body remember how to release the urine. So sometimes after being sedated, the body slows down and it takes it a while to get back to normal again. So I may have to stick a little tube like, you know, a catheter 
up there, he was talking about his downstairs, um, to wake up the muscles that releases his urine. Usually once we do that, he will resume peeing naturally on his own again. I was like, okay, sounds good. Um, so the nurse went to gather a few other nurses to gather around Isaiah to help, you know, hold his arms and legs down while he stuck the catheter, you know, tube up there. Um, because obviously it's painful and, um, you know, it, it, it hurts. So he didn't want Isaiah to start kicking and moving his arms around um, because of the pain. So that's why he had the other nurses there to help hold down his, his arms and his legs. Um, so the nurses all gathered around and, uh, and I was standing there too. And there was another nurse who gathered the catheter kit and got it all prepared on a tray. Everything was there so that the one, you know, male nurse could, could do his job and put the catheter up there. And then anyway, so I pulled down Isaiah's pajama bottoms so that the nurse could do what he needed to help Isaiah to be able to pee again. And guess what? To our surprise, Isaiah had finally gone pee on his own. So it was just in the nick of time. And so um, I thought that was wonderful because then he didn't have to put the catheter up there after all. So I was so relieved. And at this point, it's about mm, 2.30 a.m. And so we were all so relieved because now we didn't have to put Isaiah through the that little procedure of putting the catheter up there, which, like I said, would have only caused him more pain. And so I was like, oh, thank the Lord. Now, as I said, that was at 2.30 a.m. So then just three and a half hours later at 6 a.m., Dr. Goop, who, again, this is a made-up name, but I'm referring to Dr. Goop as the rude doctor, walked in the room at 6 a.m. And th this is the same room, rude doctor who had tried to get me to sign the paperwork prior to Isaiah's surgery just the day before, right? And he said that he was going to remove the little drain tubes that were sticking out of Isaiah's neck from where Dr. Lambert had, you know, he had to put these little tubes in the side of his neck. That's where Dr. Lambert basically removed the two lower salivary glands. And it's just a little plastic teeny tube that was sticking out of his neck. It's kind of hard to describe, but those are the tubes that Dr. Um, Goop, uh, the rude doctor, was going to remove. And so anyway, um, he said, as soon as I finish removing the drain tubes from either side of Isaiah's neck, then I will draw up his discharge paperwork and we will get you guys out of here. Uh, mind you, this is 6 a.m. The following morning after his surgery, where it was multiple things they did in that surgery, the same surgery where he wasn't coming out of sedation for more than four hours and, um, and he didn't even go in for surgery till 1 p.m. And now it's only 6 a.m. the following morning. I was like, uh, 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 I, I literally said, um... Isaiah still hasn't really even woken up from his sedation and um, he didn't even go pee from 1 p.m. yesterday when he went into surgery until just a few hours ago at 2.30 this morning. Um, he hasn't even had a bowel movement yet. Uh, he hasn't shown any signs of being awake or alert, you know, on his own. Um, he, he has needed oxygen all night long because he isn't breathing well on his own. Uh, I, I do not feel comfortable being discharged yet. I think we need to at least stay one more night, if not two more nights here at the hospital. 
And he said, okay, if you want to stay another night at the hospital, that's fine. Because, you know, he could clearly care less. Um, in that case, I will just wait to remove the two drain tubes in his neck until tomorrow morning. And I was like, okay, good. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. You know, it, it really would make me feel more comfortable to stay here for at least one more night, you know, maybe two. And so then as he started to leave the room, he said, uh, uh, no, no, excuse me. As he started to leave the room, I said, oh, uh, is Dr. Lambert going to be coming in to check on Isaiah? Because, you know, you know, it's Dr. Lambert who actually did the surgery on Isaiah, not this rude doctor. And uh, he said, no, I am his resident and he sent me to do the checkups today. And I was like, okay. And so then he left. And I was, I was a little surprised because I thought that since Dr. Lambert was the one who did the surgery, that Dr. Lambert would be the one checking on Isaiah since, you know, <laughs> since he did the surgery. It just made sense to me. And every other surgery that I have had myself or my boys have had or my mom, um, it's the surgeon who actually does the surgery checks on the patient. Even if they only check on them for five minutes, I've never not had a surgeon check on the patient at least once afterwards. So that was kind of different. It was odd. But anyway, I thought, okay, well, since, you know, we're staying another night, I'm sure Dr. Lambert will come in and check on Isaiah tomorrow before we're discharged or whatever. So I kind of just kind of let it go and I didn't think too much more about it. Well, during the rest of that day, so now we're talking the day of Wednesday because Isaiah's surgery was Tuesday, 1 p.m. So during the rest of the next day, Wednesday, Isaiah started to showing signs of being alert and he even started breathing well on his own. And I was so happy that he didn't need to, you know, wear the oxygen mask anymore. And um, I started feeling much better seeing Isaiah showing signs of getting back to normal, opening his eyes and you know, he, he still wasn't really giggling or smiling, but he was at least awake and alert. Um, but he was still in a lot of pain. Um, but the nurses were wonderful. They kept him on pain medicine every three hours, which was really helpful. Um, but yeah, we were by no means ready to go home uh, when that rude doctor tried to initially discharge us at 6 a.m. I, I mean, I still can't believe he tried to do that. And, and like I said, Isaiah hadn't even had a bowel movement. They always want you to go pee and have a bowel movement after surgery before you're discharged. So I don't know if he wasn't looking at the notes or he was probably just in too big of a hurry. I don't know. Anyway, the following day, now Thursday, surgery was Tuesday. Wednesday, Isaiah finally started doing better. Thursday, first thing again at 6 a.m., you're never going to guess who walked in the door. Yep, the rude doctor, Dr. Goop. He walked in our hospital room, flipped on the light, because, you know, I had been sleeping. I was exhausted. Now, at this point, having spent two nights at the hospital with very little sleep, I was like, really, does he have to come in at 6 a.m. in the freaking morning every single time? No, no, I mean, that's not what I said. That's what I thought up in my head. <laughs> but anyway, so he walked in our room Thursday morning, like I said, it was 6 a.m. He flipped on the light and then he said, okay, I'm going to remove the two drain tubes from Isaiah's neck now and then, you know, we'll get you guys discharged and get you out of here. Pretty much, much like he had said the day before. 
So I got out of bed and I went over to Isaiah's bed to watch him remove the two tubes and um, these little plastic tubes. And after he removed both those two little plastic tubes from the sides of Isaiah's neck, he said, okay, well, I will go write up Isaiah's discharge paperwork and we will get you guys out of here. And I said, uh, okay, um, is Dr. Lambert going to be coming back um, to check on Isaiah before we're discharged? And he stood there. I will never forget this. He stood there looking at me with this intense look in his eye. It was like he was saying, you know, he didn't say this, but he was looking at me like he was thinking, you have got to be kidding me, you know. Have you ever had someone look at you with that look in their eye? And this is actually what he said. For real. Word for word, I wrote it down. This is what he said. And I will use his tone of voice and everything. He said very slowly and with intense annoyance. You have asked me every single day. If Dr. Lambert is going to come in and check on your son for the last three days. That's exactly how he said it. And I was, I was shocked. I mean, my mouth dropped. I had never been talked to so rudely by a doctor ever. It was like he was so mad at me because I had, yes, repeatedly asked if Dr. Lambert was going to check on Isaiah. Because, of course, I would expect that Dr. Lambert, the doctor who did the surgery, of course I want him to check. What good does it do for for this guy, this other doctor who did not even do the surgery? What good does it do for him to check on my son? I mean, this is the same rude doctor who walked in the room, didn't introduce himself, gave me a form to sign and said, here, sign here. I mean, I didn't even so much as know his name. And I, I didn't even understand all the stuff that was on the paperwork. Of course I'm not going to sign. And now this is the same doctor who's checking on my son after his surgery, um, you know, the, the morning after, the two mornings after. I'm thinking, when is Dr. Lambert coming in? So I was just, I was confused. And yes, I did repeatedly ask for Dr. Lambert. But when he said that to me, just like that, so rude. Ah, I tell you what, after two nights of not having a good night's sleep, I did not take to that very well. I'll be honest. I was pissed. <laughs> I was, and I was sleep deprived, and I'd been through a lot. And so this is what I said, uh, because <laughs> I was totally shocked and blown away by his extreme rudeness. And his tone of voice, by the way, was really beyond rude. You know, you, you should not be talked to like that. And the fact that he took the time to slow down and pause in between each word when he said it, when he said every single day. I mean, it was such a shock. I have never been spoken to so rudely by any doctor ever before. Well, uh, do, oh, did I mention? Oh, I think I did, yes. That after getting very little sleep at the hospital over the past 48 hours, and with the stress of my little boy taking so long to come out of sedation, which that was so, so stressful. Oh, and him not breathing well for the first night and, and you know, needing to have the oxygen mask that I had to get up every hour and hold it over his head. I mean, not his head, his nose and his mouth. 
And he was in a lot of pain from all the things they did, you know, during the surgery. Well, anyway, to say that my stress level was extremely high would be an understatement. So, oh, plus, who is at their best when they have gotten very little sleep in a 48-hour period? Well, certainly not me. (laughs) I am not at my best when I have had very little sleep. So here's what I said. I looked at him dead in the eyes and said with extreme curiosity, this is exactly how I said it. You ready? I said, are you annoyed with me? Yes, I slowed down and paused just like he did uh, when I was saying that to him. Are you annoyed with me? Because obviously he was annoyed, but I wanted him to admit it. I wanted him to be aware of just how rude he was talking to me. And he said, well, it's just that you keep on asking me if Dr. Lambert is going to be coming in to check on your son. And I keep telling you that I am his resident, but you still just keep asking me if he is going to be coming back to check on your son. He said again, you know, he was clearly still really frustrated and annoyed with me. After taking a deep breath, I said, it has been my past experience that every time one of my children has a surgery, that the doctor who performs the surgery comes in and checks out how my child is doing at least one time after the surgery is over, and especially before discharging my child. So I don't understand why you are acting like I'm out of line by asking to see the surgeon who worked on my son. Not to mention the fact that Isaiah didn't even come out of sedation at all for over four hours after his surgery ended. Or the fact that he wasn't breathing very well on his own for the first night after surgery and they had to put an uh, oxygen mask over him. Or the fact that he didn't even pee until 2.30 a.m. the morning after his surgery. His surgery, mind you, that was at 1 p.m. the day before. Or the fact that he has extremely weak muscle tone. There are a ton of reasons for concern here. And I want Dr. Lambert to come see Isaiah before we go home today. That's exactly what I said. And he said, he can't see your son today. Dr. Lambert is unavailable today. He sent me instead. Oh, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be damned if we're going to go home. I mean, I I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. And I said, "Uh, what do you mean Dr. Lambert isn't available today? I asked, don't you work under him? Doesn't he have to oversee everything that you do? Isn't he here at the hospital? I asked. Uh, no, he isn't here at the hospital. To, he isn't here at the hospital today. He is unavailable. Like I said, I will draw up Isaiah's discharge paperwork and get you guys out of here. He said as he grabbed the door handle and left the room. <sighs> To say that steam was coming out of my ears from the extreme anger and frustration that I felt would be putting it mildly. 
I was so angry. I angrily walked back to my pathetic little makeshift bed by the cold windows there in that hospital room. And I climbed under the blankets. Because remember, it's still like, you know, he walked in at 6 a.m. And now it's probably what? 6 10 a.m. He was in for all of 10 minutes. I still wanted to get more sleep. So, anyways, I, I crawled back under the blankets and I attempted to go back to sleep again because, like I said, it was only 6 10 a.m. and I am not used to getting up that early. But at this point, I I mean, even though I was still so tired and exhausted, I was so angry. Have you ever been so angry that you cannot actually go back to sleep, even though you're exhausted? even though you're tired. So I laid there trying in vain to go back to sleep for maybe, I don't know, five or six minutes. But I was so pissed. There was absolutely no freaking way that I was going to be able to go back to sleep. So I threw the covers back and I got out of that tiny, miserable little makeshift bed and I pushed the button on Isaiah's bed to call the nurse into our room. Now, mind you, like I said, all the nurses were wonderful. I wasn't mad at the nurse, but I was mad at that rude doctor. So as I stood there next to Isaiah's bed, waiting for the nurse to come in the room, I looked down at Isaiah and noticed that that rude doctor had been in such a hurry to leave that he hadn't even bothered to throw away the bloody gauze and the wrap that had been, you know, pressed up next to Isaiah's neck from where Dr. Lambert had, um, you know, removed his two salivary glands. They had wrapped it and wrapped it with, you know, there was gauze around it and then there was just this wrap. So he was in such a hurry to leave, he left the bloody gauzy mess and everything right there, right, right on Isaiah's bed, right next to his face. And I was like, wow who does that? I mean, I even took pictures. I, I just couldn't believe, like, you know, especially as a healthcare professional, you would think they would throw away a bloody mess and like clean up the area, right? So he left part of the stitches that he had removed on the pillow right next to Isaiah's head. Like I said, I got pictures. I got pictures of everything. He also left the white cloth that had been wrapped around Isaiah's neck, which also had blood stains on it. He left that cloth right next to Isaiah. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. The blood stains on that gauze <coughs> were still touching Isaiah's head. I don't know if you can imagine this or not, but it was like unbelievable that he that he did that. I just couldn't believe it. Again, he was in such a hurry to leave that he didn't even have the decency to clean up his mess, especially with COVID. This was happening during COVID. Wouldn't you think being sanitary and cleaning up after a bloody mess would be a no brainer? I was shocked. So anyway, when the nurse walked in our room, I looked up at him, the nurse, and said with sheer determination, I need to file a complaint. How do I do that? And the nurse looked at me with complete surprise. Because remember, this nurse, he was a nice nurse. Okay, they all were. But, but he just knew that I wanted to file a complaint. And I think he assumed that I was upset with him. And I wasn't. Poor guy, I feel so bad. 
I should have explained to him and made it more clear that I wasn't upset with him. And he said, oh, wow, what happened? (laughs) That poor nurse, I feel so bad. It had just never occurred to me that the nurse thought that I was wanting to, you know, file a complaint about him. No, 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 no way. Like I said, he was a wonderful nurse. All the nurses that tended to Isaiah were, were fabulous. So I quickly proceeded to regurgitate the whole story of how extremely rude that intern doctor had been. And thus the reason why I was needing to file the complaint. And the nurse looked at me and said, oh, okay. Um, yeah, but are you sure you want to file a complaint? Because uh, it's kind of a big deal. He'll have to go before the board and it isn't taken lightly. To which I replied, absolutely I do. (laughs) So the nurse passed along the message that I wanted to file a complaint and a very nice woman came up to our room and asked me several questions and I took her through the whole story as well. And I also pointed out You know, I said, look, look at the bloody gauze that he left there. He didn't even clean up his mess. I mean, because I didn't throw it away. I wanted her, the the lady that I was filing the the complaint with, I wanted her to see it. Because at first she tried to take my complaint over the phone. And I said, uh, no, I I need you to come here to the room. There's something I need you to see. Because, yeah, I took pictures on my phone and I got video. But I, I I just wanted her to come to the room. So she did. The lady that was in charge of handling complaints came up to the room and she saw. She saw what a bloody mess he left, the the bloody claws, the the tubes. I mean, he didn't throw anything away. He in no way cleaned up after himself at all. And she was taking notes the whole time. And she asked me more questions for clarification after I'd finished explaining my whole story to her. And I will never forget how she stopped. She put her pen down. And then she looked me straight in the eyes with such a genuine and sincere look. And with true kindness and compassion in her voice, she said very softly, I am so, so sorry for what you went through. That doctor was very rude and unprofessional and way out of line. And I'm so sorry that you and your son had to go through that. Now that really touched my heart. I mean, it was real it was genuine. She really cared. And it was so sweet. You know, her sweet, genuine apology. It meant the world to me, even though she clearly hadn't done anything wrong. She just felt bad for what we had gone through and how he treated us. So she was just the person um, designated to get the facts as to what happened. And then she would go type up the complaint to pass it on to the board. Yet, she went above and beyond to show such real compassion. It was so heartwarming. She made me feel so much better. So, just being heard and cared about, sometimes that's all we really need. To be heard and to be cared about. What a huge difference it would make in this world if everyone just showed a little more kindness and compassion to one another. If we all considered our tone of voices when talking, if we stop for a minute and consider the stress and feeling of being overwhelmed that someone might be going through, you know, we, we don't always know what other people are going through. 
And and to be fair, I didn't consider what this rude doctor was going through. Maybe he was going through a divorce. Maybe he was fighting for custody. Maybe he just found out that a loved one that he really cares about got diagnosed with cancer. I mean, to be fair, I have no idea what that doctor was going through. And maybe that's why he was, you know, rude or short-tempered or disrespectful. Uh, I I just want to point out that if we could all be a little bit more um, understanding that we never really know what someone else is going through. And and I, I'm being raw and honest with you saying I didn't at all consider what that rude doctor was maybe going through. And I kind of wish I, I had. I maybe wouldn't have been so angry. The thought never occurred to me that maybe he was going through a hard time in his life. And I mean, I never found out anything more about that doctor. So it's not that I know that in fact he was going through a hard time. I'm just trying to point out that maybe just maybe he was going through something difficult. So he was doing the best he could to still, you know, show up at work and do his job. But clearly he was having zero bedside manners. But anyway, so so getting back um, to wrapping up the story. So if we would all consider our tone of voices when we're talking, and if we stop for a minute and consider the stress and the feeling of being overwhelmed that somebody else may be going through, especially from a parent in a hospital because their child just went through hours hours of surgery. The stress of not seeing your child come out of sedation cannot even be put into words. Stress through the roof. Of all times, parents need to be treated kindly and given extra compassion should be in the hospital. Can I get an amen? Okay. So basically this lady who took my report, she contacted Dr. Lambert and had Dr. Lambert call me. Remember I was wanting to have Dr. Lambert come in and actually look at Isaiah before we were discharged. I wasn't fighting being discharged. I was fighting how rude the rude doctor was. And I was determined that we would not leave the hospital until Dr. Lambert, the one who did the surgery, actually came and laid eyes on Isaiah and actually checked him out, mainly because I didn't trust that other rude doctor. He he didn't look at Isaiah's files. I mean, he didn't even know that he hadn't gone pee or that he wasn't able to breathe. I mean, clearly that doctor was not doing his job thoroughly because I don't think he ever would have tried to discharge us to go back home at 6 a.m. the morning after the surgery right? I mean, it just seemed evident that he wasn't looking at Isaiah's charts because the nurses were documenting all that. Um, Anyway, so this lady who took the report, she contacted Dr. Lambert and had Dr. Lambert call me and I explained the whole thing to Dr. Lambert over the phone. And Dr. Lambert was very, very apologetic, which I really appreciate. And he said that he should have made it more clear to me that he, Dr. Lambert, would not be following up with Isaiah after his surgery. He apologized and said, I'm sorry, I should have clarified to you that I would be having this other doctor, Dr. Goop, um, you know, the rude one, that he would be having him check on Isaiah for me instead to do all the follow-ups and everything afterward. 
And I said that, you know, I told him that I appreciated his apology, but I explained that the real issue I had wasn't that I didn't know that he wasn't going to be following up with Isaiah. I mean, I expected he would, but that wasn't the issue. The real issue was how rude Dr. Goop was and that he didn't even ask any questions about how Isaiah was doing and, or, you know, or even attempt to check Isaiah out. There was no um, checking his forehead or to see if he still had a fever or, or if he was, um, you know, he in no way touched Isaiah's body anywhere to see if he was doing okay. So anyway, um, uh, long story short, that is what happened. And I ended up 